Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. back with Frederick Clarkson, the Political Research Associates. Thanks for dropping back into MindShift Podcast. Thanks. Uh, I'm glad I didn't mess up so badly. You've had me back. Oh, no, it was good. In fact, we had a Zoom call, uh, what was it, last month or the month before? I can't remember. Like you said, it's been the COVID fog, but everyone thoroughly enjoyed that call. Very informative. You're obviously up on what's going on in the Christian Riot and Project Blitz and all that. So, yeah, thanks for uh, doing that as well. Sure. Glad to do it. Okay, so the reason we're chatting is you wrote an article recently on the uh, religion dispatches, and it was about someone from my home state, Washington State in the United States, a guy named Matt Shea. He's kind of the main, main figure, but there are some other names in this article. Why should we be concerned about a guy named Matt Shea? Because I know a couple of years ago, he was all over the news, and then he's kind of faded away. Why are you bringing him back out now? Uh, well, for several reasons. Uh, he's, uh, he's an emerging leader in his uh uh these days hmm. he uh you know for uh, uh for a decade he was in the state legislature and actually was the, the the chairman of the republican caucus in the state house of representatives uh but his own republican caucus expelled him as chairman hmm. uh after uh, after a report that they had commissioned came out that showed that uh, he was not only present you know at at, at this right-wing armed occupation of a, of a state wildlife reserve, the Malheur State Wildlife Reserve, uh, a couple of years before, but he was involved in the planning. And uh-huh. they r- really saw themselves as, as insurrectionists, as we like to say now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the report, uh, which was re- uh, produced independently, described him as engaged in domestic terrorism and as a threat, and I'm paraphrasing here, mm-hmm. you know, to, uh, to a, a political violence. His uh, post-legislative career suggests that that's still the case. And he's a, a, an important and charismatic political leader of the far right. Now, I know we're going to get into Matt Shea, but one thing that strikes me right away, okay, yes, you say he was expelled from his post in the Republican Party in Washington State, but he didn't actually resign, did he? He, was, he just finished his term. They said they stripped him of all his committees and took away his title, but he didn't actually formally resign. Isn't that right? That's right. Nor did they, <clears throat> nor did they expel him. Right. They didn't actually kick him out. But what's interesting, I was just going to say, looking at the bigger picture, here we've got today a person like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, nothing. Crickets from the Republican Party, even just a couple of years later. Does that say anything about where the Republican Party has gone since the Matt Shea story broke? At least then they were willing to confront part of it and launch an investigation. Well, I think what's true in Washington is true in both Washingtons is that ne- neither is the Democratic majority taking action. You know, I mean, they have the power uh, in case of uh, Washington, D.C. I recall, you know, uh, you know, in, in the month following the insurrection, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, uh, you know, standing at, a, at, a, at the podium, angry and pointing. You couldn't see who she was pointing at. She was pointing at somebody saying that, you know, members who were involved will be expelled and there will mm. be consequences. You know, and I thought, wow, she's really going to do it. 
but she hasn't. Nothing. And, and neither did the Washington State House of Representatives, which had a Democratic majority that could have expelled Matt Shea for, you know, uh, for, for, his, for his activities. Mm-hmm. And even just in the last couple of years, as we say, the Republican Party has gone e- even further into, I guess, sliding into fascism. What do you want to say about it? I mean, I know that's not the subject of our conversation, but it is the context of it, isn't it? Because, yes, he was a Republican uh, in the state of Washington, my home state. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm proud to say that I'm affiliated with that. That's where I'm from. And not just a Republican, but, you know, uh, but a leader in, his, in the party. Mm. Right. And that's the thing. So it seems like there's this big uh, report that comes out, as you say, it's some, something like, what, 180 pages or more? It's a long report. The more comes out about it, the more details come about about how, how involved this guy actually is. Because as you talk about in your article, he's involved with Patriot churches. He's involved with some serious far-right militia groups. He's into conspiracy theories. How far down the rabbit hole does this guy go? Well, he goes to the point where uh, he had also been planning and, uh, and the documents that exposed this and came out of the New York Times and elsewhere, you know, showed that uh, he and his patriot movement uh, compatriot thought that there was going to be a civil war that would mm-hmm. lead to the fall of the government of the United States. And they were planning, uh, preparing for a secessionist movement in the Northwest and that would ultimately install Matt Shea as the governmental leader. So they had serious contingency plans and uh, plans that I suspect are still operational. I think they haven't given up the idea of doing exactly that. Yeah, I've been reading some articles on Shea in preparation for talking to you, and it is pretty interesting. It's a 108-page, I guess, was the uh, the uh, size of this report. And of course, yeah, he went to Facebook and said, I'm not going to resign. I'm not going to give in. And he actually didn't. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so he's involved in all kinds of stuff because – that, uh, that insurrection thing he was involved with in uh, Oregon, that was the Bundys. What can mm-hmm. you tell us about that? Because that, that blew up, uh, what was it, 2014, something like that? <clears throat> yeah, I forget the exact year, but, the, uh, but, but yeah, the, uh, the, the Bundys' uh, family, the patriarch is this guy, Cliven Bundy, and their several sons, they had ranch land, and they were grazing their cattle on uh, at least federal uh, federal mm-hmm. lands, which is not unusual in the American West. There's a lot of grasslands, uh, but they weren't, they weren't paying. Right. They weren't they paying didn't, their fair dues. And they didn't think they, they, they had to. And so eventually uh, the federal government was moving in to, uh, to enforce action on them. And what happened was that uh, they, they called in the, the Oath Keepers, sort of the famous militia group that mm-hmm. uh, was involved in the Washington, D.C. insurrection on January 6th, uh, and others to defend the Bundy land against uh, this enforcement action by the feds. Uh, and it led to a big, a big standoff where the Oath Keepers actually uh, had riflemen on high ground ready to shoot federal agents and mm. until the feds backed off, which they did. <laughs> All right. And later the, uh, the Bundys were prosecuted over that, I believe, uh, ultimately found not guilty, uh, but nevertheless became folk heroes of the far right in the, in the far west of the mm-hmm. United States. It's out of that that Matt Shea involved uh, an organization called COWS, which stands for the Coalition of Western States that's involved in uh, the tensions around uh, federal, the vast ownership of federal, uh, federal land in the West versus mm-hmm. uh, what uh, individuals and, and some of the states would like to see in terms of changing that relationship. But, you know, these guys are, are far-right insurrectionists. Right. And this guy, as you say, he's a, a Republican leader in the state of Washington, 
Because at one point, didn't he advocate for seceding Eastern Washington from the Union and forming an, a, his own state? So this is how far this guy's willing to go with this movement. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think he actually introduced a resolution in the legislature. It didn't get very far, but, uh, uh, but it reflected his thinking. But there are a lot of secessionist movements uh, sort of percolating around in the Northwest. Uh, just in the last election, uh, several uh, counties in uh, eastern Oregon, just south of where, uh, where uh, Matt Shea uh, lives and, and works, voted to secede from, uh, from the state of Oregon and to join the state of Idaho. Now, oh, right. the, the, this vote is symbolic and doesn't actually mean anything, but uh, they're not going to run off and join Idaho, although there's some in Idaho that would like to have them. But nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, yeah. that's, that's the, the state of mind among a lot of people in that part of the mm-hmm. country. And as you say, he's in the perfect part of the country. You're talking Was- eastern Washington, uh, northern Idaho, Montana, that area, southern Oregon, eastern Oregon. I mean, that's been a hotbed for... Aryan nations, far-right militia groups for decades. Now, I don't know how, how much of it's still going on because I've heard that the government uh, cracked down on a lot of those groups, didn't they? But there's certainly that, that area has been a hotbed for decades now. Well, sure. And, and they're still there. There's uh, one group uh, that's uh, particularly active in uh, Western Montana, you know, fairly close to Idaho, called Pioneer Little Europe. Mm. And that this is their... Uh, actively recruiting uh, white supremacists from other parts of the country to come and move to their area, you know, hoping to create that, uh, you know, white supremacist homeland somewhere mm-hmm. in there. So there are factions, there are a variety of far-right factions. Some are more explicitly theocratic, you know, others are more specifically white supremacist, or some, you know, various combinations thereof, which is kind of where mm-hmm. the Matt, Matt Fave, Matt Shea people sit. Right. Except, you know, he has, uh, he has ambitions, you know, to be the great dictator himself. And he wants to be the leader of this, this state that seceded. Well, it strikes me too that the patriot movement in general, would you describe that's what he's into? Because it's not a, it's not a monolith, is it? Like you say, you could, you could look at it and say, okay, there's a sovereign citizens, people in there, there's militia groups in there, there's the anti-tax groups in there, there's a theocratic kingdom, patriots. They're not all one. You can't just paint them all with one stripe. Isn't that, isn't that correct? Uh, that's certainly true. And there's certainly you know, various organized groups, uh, but they certainly all have in common uh, a, a dislike for, uh, uh, for the United States you know, and, uh, mm. and, the, and, the, and the government in Washington. Right. That seems to be the common thread. Don't they even go so far as to say they've kind of believed that the government has been corrupted so badly that they don't, they don't trust it anymore. They don't want to be a part of the government. They think the government certainly is overreaching into their private lives. I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't know that much about the sovereign citizens movement, but isn't that basically what they're saying is that the government shouldn't have jurisdiction over the average sovereign citizen? Well, the sovereign citizens, you know, most of them believe that the government of the United States wasn't legitimate in the first place. Mm. And they, they think that the United States really should be governed under British admiralty law and other crackpot ideas like that. So, you know, they're, they're people who, you know, they, they don't believe in, uh, in license plates and driver's licenses and marriage right. licenses and stuff, so all that kind of stuff. But that's also true of others in the patriot movement as well. The sovereign citizens are just, you know, let's say very individualistic. Right. You put them under this bigger umbrella. Now, all of that is, is concerning, isn't on just a, a political sort of a, not necessarily theological level, but certainly it's a concern. They're, these guys are involved in legislation. He's encouraging people to get involved in politics. 
but there's a Christian element to this whole thing as well. Because as I read your article, you talk about this Marble Community Church, which is way up north in upstate Washington State or north of Spokane. What about Marble Community Church? Because now we're getting into this Christian, white Christian identity thing as well. Well, that's right. And uh, it's sort of led by, uh, it's it's a culty kind of place, uh, led by a Led by a married couple, you know, Anne and uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Anne and Bird uh, or something. Yeah. Yeah. The last name is Bird. I don't remember the, ma- the man's first name. Uh, but but in any case, the uh, uh, the birds have had this uh, uh, Christian community for a long time. Mm-hmm. It certainly has influences uh, of uh, you know Christian identity theology, which is a white supremacist theology. And uh, Matt Shea has been affiliated with them for a long time, mm-hmm. and they uh, they. Uh, they're uh, predatory and uh, and uh, a bit imperial in their uh, activities as well. Uh, source of mine tells me that they they go about uh, taking over other churches, mm-hmm. and um, we believe that that's what just happened with uh, with the church that Matt Shea was uh, uh, going to be the new pastor of. I've learned about this after I wrote my article. Oh right, but uh, after. His uh, legislative career was over. He was the designated successor of this church called the Covenant Church in Spokane, mm. and was on his uh, way to a, a new career as a as an untrained pastor. Okay. And uh, but uh, the and so the, his uh, his predecessor, the guy who had named him uh, as his successor, this guy uh, Ken Peters, he was uh, he founded the uh, what we talk about in the article these Patriot churches right. in in the East. And uh, these are churches that are kind of like the sovereign citizens we're talking about, except, you know, they're, 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 they're religious communities with a p- political agenda, but uh, they're not registered charities under the U.S. tax law. So they have neither the benefits of tax exemption or the restrictions that go with it. So mm-hmm. they can do whatever they want, right? right? Uh, they pay their own way, as it were. But what happened was that uh, Matt Shea, apparently as disciple of the birds, and I realize it's getting a little complicated, but it becomes less so. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It becomes less so, trust me. So, okay. so Maché uh, decided to stage a coup in his new church, try to throw out his predecessor, Ken Peters, <laughs> and, okay. uh, and be, and, and, uh, uh, <laughs> who was still on the payroll, all right? Right, so, typical church politics. So church politics, you know, oh, just, man. you know, Boy, you know, heavy duty, you know, knife, knife wielding, backstabbing stuff going on here. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so but what, what happened was, unfortunately, what Matt Shea and his faction didn't know was that Ken Peters owned the building. Oh. So he could evict them, and he did. And, but Matt Shea uh, took, you know, like 80% of the congregation with him and mm-hmm. formed a new church that now meets, you know, in some hotel ballroom somewhere. Uh, and uh, wow. uh, he, he commands that what's interesting here for our purposes is, is not the, the weirdness of church politics, but the ab- amount of loyalty that Matt Shea is able to command among a majority of people mm-hmm. in that setting. This Ken Peters, I saw a little clip about him. He appeared in the January 6th insurrection, I believe. He was flown to Washington, D.C. by good old Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, wasn't he? Along with some other people. As part, I think it was as part of this Patriot Church movement, and he spoke at a rally the day before, I believe, and along with another friend of his that was encouraging people to 
basically, and you know, be part of this insurrection. He wasn't actually part of it, although he was down at the Capitol, I think, on the sixth. So these are the this is the circle these guys are running in. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, you know, being groomed for you know wider leadership than tiny churches, you know, in mm. in uh, in, uh, in Washington and Tennessee. Right, because he's he's got a church. I saw the video of it. It's got an American flag for a roof. It's like a tin roof, but it's got. It's got this American flag painted on. It's not a very big mm-hmm. church, but yeah, he's he's got this thing. Well, actually, that that's like a building they rented. That's like oh a, right. That, that's like a there's got a there's like a hall and there's like a store and stuff like that. But yeah, it's a they they rented that space for for a conference and I guess for church services as well. But uh, so they don't actually own a building, at least not yet. And right. they may they're just you know a group of people who've gotten together for this these stated purposes right this patriot church uh, back on Matt Shea one of the things that came out in this connection with Marble Church was this team rugged which is another disturbing development that this the stories came out what can you tell us about team rugged because that's a whole another sort of paramilitary movement that he had going there as well it is, uh, you know, a lot of churches, you know, have youth groups and youth camps and stuff like that. But uh, what what the birds have, you know, is a paramilitary training course for uh, for, uh, for, for, uh, for, for 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 teenagers. As so you, you get do. you get so you get trained in paramilitary tactics and how to use a, a pistol and a rifle. I think they're not using, you know, uh, yeah, using like airsoft. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's so it's not full but shooting with the rifles. Though. But it's simulated, and right. so you know know how to use it in an organized paramilitary sure. setting. As close you can get. Yeah. yeah. So what's the purpose of Team Rugged? Because I mean, they're right up there in that sort of redoubt area, is what they call it, isn't it? Where they want to secede, like Montana, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, form their own country, their sovereign country. These boys are up there training with basically military tactics. For what end? Did they see this this war that they're going to win? And I guess Matt Shea is going to be the leader of this new government of this new state or country. Well, he's the one who wants to be. It's not sure that he would. <laughs> sure yeah, that he happen, would be. That, that you know, who will emerge as the maximum leader? But uh, but yeah, I mean, tra- training young people for you know some vision, some version of this is is what's going on. Mm. You know, yeah. on this uh, you know you know remote you know uh, you know religious compound in northern Washington. Yeah, there sounds like they're right up near the Canadian border. They're that far north, I think, aren't they? They're way up in the sticks, man. Maybe yeah. inten- intentionally so. They want to be away from prying eyes and everything else, don't they? It sounds like the classic cult, like you say, cult-like compound. Who knows what's going on up there? We will come back in just a few minutes with the second half of this really fascinating conversation with returning guest Frederick Clarkson of the Political Research Associates. Really fascinating stuff. We're going to be getting into this issue of the connection between Matt Shea and Timothy Taylor. And this is something that Fred has picked up on. This is a real concern because now we have, as he'll explain, a real explicit connection between kind of a white supremacist guy and Matt Shea and the Seven Mountains Mandate Dominion theology. Timothy Taylor's coming out of the New Apostolic Reformation the Seven Mountains Mandate stuff. So this is a really concerning connection, and we're going to try to figure out where the hell this whole story is going, something definitely to keep a very close eye on going forward. So we're really grateful for Fred's research and his hard work uncovering what's going on in this crazy world of the Christian right and really the alt-right as well. I just wanted to give a quick thank you to the newest Patreon supporters of this show, 
Thank you to Angela Stoner, Nathan G., and Brenna Silbory. Thank you so much for your support of this show. It is greatly appreciated. And thank you, too, to Dr. Audrey Claire Farley. The episode, if you haven't caught it yet, just came out the other week, talking about Dr. James Dobson of Focus on the Family and the connection that he has in his background to a guy named Paul Popino, who was one of the real godfathers of eugenics back in the early 20th century in America. And as we discovered in that episode, there's some pretty disturbing connections between Paul Popino. He actually influenced the Nazis, so there's some stuff going on there. And James Thompson was his assistant years and years ago, decades ago, in fact. And he's been able to cover up a lot of the connections that he's had with Paul Popino and eugenics. But as we talk about, as I say, in that episode... Audrey did a fantastic job of researching that and really clearly explaining it. So if you haven't caught that episode with Dr. Audrey Claire Farley, you definitely want to do that. Don't miss that one. It's pretty disturbing, actually. Now, what's coming up in the next few episodes here on MindShift Podcast, we've got a really fascinating conversation with David Johnson of the Skeptics and Seekers Podcast. We had a really interesting conversation about papering over the dark history of the church and racism and David Johnson that's what he used to do when he was an evangelical he was actually a minister who specialized in racial relationships and racial reconciliation and so he's very well researched on this subject provided absolutely fascinating conversation a lot of information some of which is pretty disturbing but again like I said this is a fantastic conversation you are not going to want to miss with David Johnson of the Skeptics and Seekers. And then I also had a really excellent conversation with Rachel Bernstein of the Indoctrination Podcast. We're going to split that in two halves. The first half is going to go up on her show in a matter of a few weeks here. And then the second half is going to come out here on Mindship Podcast. So you'll catch the first one on Indoctrination, the second half on Mindship Podcast. We had a really fascinating conversation. The first episode we talked about it's going to be on her show. A lot of it was about my own backstory and how I've come out of religion and sort of the journey that I've been on. And she then talked about in the second half this issue of mental health and religion. And I had a lot of questions for her because she's actually a therapist. And that's one of the things that she specializes in seeing clients who are coming out of religion or who are actually still in religion and who are recovering or dealing with working their way through this issue of mental health, religion, and all the various things that religion can do to us, especially if you've come out of religion, that is going to be a very helpful episode. I think it's going to be a really good resource for you talking to Rachel Bernstein of the Indoctrination Podcast. And then the last couple pieces of news for you. On the 27th of June, we are going to have Emily Elizabeth Anderson come back in as our guest on our MindShift Zoom call we're going to be talking about all things Gothard, and I know there's a lot of buzz around that because a lot of people in our closed Facebook group have also come through the Bill Gothard system, whether it was the ATI, the Advanced Training Institute, the homeschooling arm of the IBLP, the Institute in Basic Life Principles, which is basically, as I see it, a cult. I myself was raised in it. So if you haven't heard that episode with Emily Elizabeth Anderson you definitely need to catch that one. And then by being a Patreon supporter of the show, you can have access to those closed MindShift Zoom calls that we do every month. And then in the month of July, we're going to have David Johnson of the Skeptics and Seekers. He's going to come in around the end of the month. I think it's the 25th of July. He's going to be our guest. And so I'm really looking forward to introducing the people in the group to David 
That is going to be a fantastic conversation. We're also working on getting Jared Yates Sexton back in as a guest, maybe in August. So we're looking forward to that. I'm also in chats with Frank Schaefer. We're looking to do some sort of Facebook Live event, as well as another one with Tim Sledge, David Hayward, and Dan Barker of the Freedom From Religion Foundation. So we're trying to do some more Facebook Live events. If you haven't caught that one that Chris Shelton and I did earlier in the month of June, that is available on the Mindshift Podcast Facebook page, as well as some other videos I've posted up of a few of the previous Mindshift Zoom calls, so you can kind of get a feel for what we talk about. We usually go for about an hour. We do those on the Sunday nights toward the end of every month. Those are absolutely fantastic calls. And like I say, you can be a part of that by being a Patreon supporter of the show. All right, let's get back into this issue of looking at the Dominion Theology connection, the theocratic visions of guys like Matt Shea and Timothy Taylor. Fred Clarkson is going to continue to put all the pieces together for us as we get into the second half of this really fascinating conversation. Now, what about the theological component of this? Because there was some mention in your article about the Seven Mountains Mandate Dominion Theology. There's another mm-hmm. guy, his name's Tim Taylor. Now, this is not the Tim, Tim the Toolman Taylor. This nope. is a completely <laughs> different guy. He's got a whole other organization. What is the Dominionist piece? How does that play into this whole story? I stumbled on the Matt Shea connection, all of this, because there's this uh, entity called Project Blitz that we've talked about, yes. which is a Christian right uh, state legislative campaign. You know, putting model bills you know into the states that are then taken, uh, that are then adapted. You know, for uh, for state legislatures, uh, so it conforms with state laws and whatever they've already got going on. Mm-hmm. People may not know within the fifty United States, everything could be quite different. Mm-hmm. So, and those were organized, you know, through these groups called uh, state legislative prayer caucuses modeled on a similar one in the U.S. Congress. And so Matt Shea was the chairman of the Washington State Legislative Prayer Caucus. Therefore, he was the chairman of Project Blitz. Mm. So that was interesting. And uh, so I thought, well, very interesting. I, I hadn't, I'm sorry, I hadn't picked up on that before. But so as I looked into that, I found out that uh, what had gone on was uh, he had uh, formed a relationship with this guy named Tim Taylor, whose religious title is as an apostle in this uh, Pentecostal and charismatic religious movement called the New Apostolic Reformation, Mm -hmm. which have a a deeply theocratic uh, vision for reorganizing society. And uh, uh, in the old days, Pentecostals were pretty apolitical, as you know, but Mm -hmm. over time, there's been an increasingly politicized vision where you're supposed to capture, you know, every, every thought, you know, every institution for Christ as they see it. So the way they've simplified that is what they call uh, the Seven Mountains Mandate, or Seven Mountains of Dominion. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, identifying seven key areas of society where individuals and groups might uh, take leadership to occupy the top of the mountain, right? So you can control culture. They've come to the belief that uh, unlike old-time evangelicalism, you don't necessarily have to win every soul for Christ. Great if you do, but that's, that's not uh, necessarily the goal. The goal is to win society for Christ and, you know, bring in as many people as long as you can. So the idea of occupying and controlling the mountain, uh, the metaphorical mountain of government, uh, education, business, uh, arts and entertainment, media, family, and church, 
uh, are, are the goals. Because you think of people who are going to be leaders and you think in, in religion, you think, well, you, they're clergy or higher ups to clergy. But there are people who, in this vision, who have God-given gifts for leadership and say government or the arts, right, or the media. And you can bring the fullness of your conservative Christian values into those areas and be, a, be a, an influence, a force, a controlling factor uh, on, on the mountain where you have the skills. I think that's a critical point, what you just made. I've, I've been tracking that a lot. Like you said, it's a sea change, isn't it, in, in American evangelicalism going back decades ago where they, they used to be all about, like you say, evangelism. When your your neighbor, your coworker, your relatives for Christ, evangelism was going to be the way to win the world. And then there be, there came this change where, as you say, it was about, you know what, we just need to take over and Christianize America and Christianize the world, establish some form of theocracy, this dominionist piece. Do you have to be a Christian to live in that theocracy? No, <laughs> you don't. That's almost less important, it seems like, than establishing some sort of a theocracy or a theocratic kingdom. Well, yeah, that's right. And for, but for our purposes, what's interesting here is, you know, uh, at least from my research and probably yours, you know, the, uh, the Christian right and the New Apostolic Reformation people sort of were over in one lane and the patriot movement and white supremacist people were sort of there in their over lane without an awful lot of crossover. Right. But, but what we see here, and I show in my article, is that Apostle Tim Taylor and Matt Shea and the Washington State Legislative Prayer Caucus got together right? Representing their different but overlapping strains of politics mm. and theology, right? And decided that they were going to create, through the members of the prayer caucus, a, uh, an apostolic council that would uh, have authority over the mountain of government. And, uh, you know, Matt Shea would, like, lead that effort. So I had never seen such a direct political, you know, and uh, a uh, the, theological agreement about right. doing this, right, in this way. And so it, uh, it's the kind of thing that, you know, now that we've seen this, we need to be looking elsewhere to see if we can see those kinds of relationships too, because that's a potentially really dangerous and historic uh, alignment of seemingly unrelated mm -hmm. interests. So what we're seeing is like the Christian right getting in bed with the alt-right. I mean, I know this is something that Sarah Posner talks about in her book, Unholy, isn't it? She says that during the Trump era, that was something that she was seeing more and more, the Christian right getting in bed with the alt-right. And that's a huge concern, isn't it? Uh, we do not want to see that coming together. But here, here we are. I looked up this Tim Taylor. It's interesting because he runs this organization called Kingdom League International. So I, you got the link in your article. So I clicked on the link. And from there, he's got another site called Operation Rolling Thunder or ORT. What is this Operation Rolling Thunder? It, it's the predecessor group to the, to the Kingdom League. Mm -hmm. And uh, what they were doing was uh, going around the country and uh, trying to uh, do at town and city levels what we just saw happen at the state level in Washington. And that is to put together councils uh, around uh, either all of, uh, all of uh, society or around the, uh, the mountain of government. And trying to put trying to put these stitch these things together, which is a a, a real project, you know, to, yeah. to get people to agree to do something like this. So he he claims that he's done it in a, in a couple of cities. Uh, so it sounds like uh, it, it's still an ongoing project, but he hasn't made a whole lot of headway as far as we can tell publicly. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why it's so interesting that he was able to do it at the state level uh, it before really is. before you know it's even clear that he's done it in any towns and cities in the state. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm interested here because I'm looking at the uh, Operation Rolling Thunder website. One of the things that strikes me is that both um, Tim Taylor and Matt Shea, they're both retired combat veterans, aren't they? Tim Taylor's yep. a retired veteran, the U.S. Navy. Matt Shea's he retired Army. He, he yes. saw combat as well. But you've got this ORT strategy. And they're and, both officers, it's important to say. Yeah. You know, the, I mean, these, these weren't grunts. These were, these were leaders. Yeah, uh, Commander Tim Taylor. And he's got a book here on his site called Developing Apostolic Strategy, Eight Keys to Transforming the Seven Spheres of Society, which are the seven mountains. As you say, he doesn't use the word mountains, but that's, it's interchangeable, isn't it? And then he's got another one, Strategic Leadership, Eight Apostolic Principles of War. So we see that war rhetoric, which is something that comes out of Matt Shea's language a lot too, isn't it? Like you said, that there's going to be a war. And he, he even promoted an article, something like the biblical basis for war. This was something that Matt Shea was putting out a few years ago. What can you tell us about that document? Uh, well, a, a bit, but uh, before we get to that, Tim Taylor would argue, and he does, that uh, says, look, you know, I, I use the language of military and, and war and things like that a lot. Mm -hmm. But what we're really talking about here is a spiritual war. All these oh, things right. are going on in the heavenlies. We're, we're, com we're praying, we're combating the demons, you know, that, that certainly can affect things, you know, on the ground, you know, mm -hmm. in the earth, earthly uh, realm. But, he, but uh, he would aver that, you know, we're not talking about, you know, going out in, in, into combat. But there's a lot of vagueness within that. Right. Right. That's what makes his alliance with Matt Shea so interesting, because in his biblical basis for war, he lays out a strategic plan for, for how, actually how to, uh, why you would want to engage, you know, in, uh, in, in organized violence, right? And, and this goes back to the prayer council thing. It's so interesting, right? At the top of the document, you can click through and see the document in my article. Uh, and that is, he talks about the formation of prayer councils. And the purpose of the that. prayer council, purpose of the prayer councils in Matt Shea's document is to, for the council to get together and ask God what God requires of them with regard, whether it's right to go to war or not. And so it's just a year or two later that he and Tim Taylor get together and form, ta-da, prayer councils. Mm. So, you know, How convenient. So is, it, is the Taylor-Shea prayer council exactly what uh, Matt Shea intended in terms of people who believe they have the authority? to uh, decide to understand God's will regarding war against uh, society, right? Mm. Uh, and we don't know for sure, but in my opinion, the answer is yes. Well, looking at um, Tim Taylor's website, again, you know, he's got this uh, strategy principles page, and he's talking about, you know, you've got to have leaders who represent every sphere or jurisdiction of society, as you were talking about, that coming from different mountains, then he says the key principles, number one, the principle of, of objectives. You've got to assess your allies, identify your adversary strategies. Then he talks about the principle of mass. Mass defines power, can be determined by numbers of people. One of the things I noticed about Taylor's strategy is that this Operation Rolling Thunder thing, it's almost like a church-wide, he wants to go church to church to church and organize these mass prayer rallies. And somehow he thinks there's going to be more power in the, in the more numbers of people that are praying and engaging in spiritual warfare and everything else, as you were talking about. Yeah, that's right. And it's always a little vague of, as about exactly what that power is. You know, how many mm. prayers, how many people do you need to, to, to move the heavens, to move God mm. into, into action, uh, to you know, in, intervene in, in worldly affairs? He and his colleagues never say, 
Mm. <laughs> it's just, it's a more is better kind of thing. And it's also unclear, you know, as to exact, is it, uh, is it like, you know, in the Old Testament where you engage in imprecatory prayer and ask God to strike down his enemies, meaning your enemies? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, is it a situation where, or both, where they identify, you know, the church as, as they understand it, uh, all these collected people, these masses, these various aligned churches as the body of Christ. And they understand themselves to be acting on God's behalf in the earthly realm. So when they're praying to God, they're asking God's permission for them to take action, or is God going to take action himself? It's a little vague. How does you that know, work? A little vague. How does that work exactly? Mm. Uh, but I think that uh, as a practical matter, I mean, some people are going to be more spiritually inclined and other people are going to say, yeah, that's God. This is what God requires. We really need to, if it really is up to the church, it's up to me to take action. Mm. And we see a lot of individual, you know, vigilante action that's inspired in that way. You right. Know, uh, you know, people who assassinate abortion providers and, and, and that sort of thing. But Matt Shea says in his uh, document on the biblical basis for war that, you know, the assassination of tyrants is, uh, is completely justified, mm-hmm. you know. So they see themselves as uh, godly warriors in both the spiritual realm, you know, and in the physical realm. And there's really, they're really, man, Matt Shea's document, they're unambiguous about it. And again, that's why I underscore how important it is that Tim Taylor, who historically has taken to a pretty traditional view about doing battle in the heavenlies, is engaged with Matt Shea. I think it's no small thing. I read through that document, The Biblical Basis for War, that you link in your article. And what struck me about it was it's, it's kind of a, a biblical theology of the Bible's view of what they would call like a just war or a holy war mm-hmm. paradigm. You know, it's, it's an argument. And it's, it, I, I noticed that as well. There's a vagueness to it. Cause, and I think people asked Matt Shea, they said, okay, what are you doing with this document? And his response was, all it is is just a record of what the, the, what the, what the Bible presents. I'm not saying it's for today. <laughs> and they're saying, but then why are you promoting it? Why are you saying, because he starts, you know, using language like a guy like Rush Dooney. He doesn't mention Rush Dooney, but he starts talking about killing, you know, gays and incorrigible teens. And I'm thinking, this is straight out of Christian Reconstructionism. He wants to apply the Old Testament law to today and our society. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And um, uh, he's unambiguous about it. He also, mm. in, in other public thing, fora, when he was asked about it, he also distanced himself. Oh, well, just, they're all just some notes for some sermons. Just? Oh, okay. just? You know, you look Who at that thing and, <laughs> and, and it, and, and, yeah, but it, they're not notes for sermons. Or if he, or if they, he was going to riff off the thing. But the document, you know, it clearly shows it, it's an outline for how to think about the biblical basis for war. And it's the title of the document. You got to do this and you got to do that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you got to get God's permission first and you got to get the prayer council together second. Uh, but, you know, then after that, it's like, how are you going to organize yourself for combat? And uh, th- it's pretty clear. It is pretty clear. And it's very concerning, isn't it? Because you think, my God, there's some really scary stuff that comes out of that document. Uh, one of the things is something like, you know, if you have to give the opposition, the enemy, a chance to surrender, but if they don't, you're justified in wiping them all out. <laughs> I mean, whoa, that's pretty extreme. But that's what the Bible presents, too. Yeah, he's very clear that. Uh, you know, people, particularly men who, uh, you know, don't hew to the line on abortion as he sees it, you know, or obey biblical law, as he puts it in general, you know, should be killed. That's pretty clear. So is he a reconstructionist, would you say? Does he, does he delve into Rush Dooney and that kind of thinking at all? 
I haven't seen, you know, exact right. language or exact echoes, but the ideas are there. And I think even Rush Dooney doesn't say, go out and kill everybody who's sure, yeah. you know, violating biblical law. He's a, he's a systematic theologian. And he says, well, you know, in certain cases, but. You know, right. Yeah. If, even if you Rush buy, Dooney. He would, he would balk at that. <laughs> he would be. Rush Dooney was, was not a vigilante. And, uh, right. He, <laughs> he had his a, problems for sure. He was a serious theologian who thought things should be due certain ways, but you don't run off and do crazy stuff. Mm, yeah. So it sounds like the, the two kind of things I'm picking up on. One is people need to be aware of this connection between this Christian right and this dominionist piece. And then the second thing is what's Matt Shea doing now? Because that, you know, he's, he seems to be out of the public spotlight. He's not a legislator anymore in the state of Washington. He didn't, you know, he didn't seek reelection after he was censured and everything else. What's he doing now? Is there a, a danger that, that a guy like Matt Shea poses currently? Well, sure. There's no indication that he's uh, changed his intentions, you know, religiously or politically. He's mm -hmm. still aligned with the birds. He's still, uh, you know, an acknowledged patriot movement leader. He still has, you know, a, a radio show, which has people on regularly. Right. So he's, uh, and he's got a, a congregation of 400 people who are tithing to him. So he's still leading a church somewhere in Washington State? Yeah. Right in Spokane somewhere. I, mm -hmm. I, I could tell you the name of the name of the hotel, but I've forgotten yeah. off the top of my head. But yeah, he's around and he, he obviously needs to regroup a little bit since we didn't get to take the church that he tried to try <laughs> yeah. to overthrow. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's uh, he's still a presence and, uh, and, you know, somebody not to be underestimated. What's concerning to me about guys like uh, Matt Shea are guys like Greg Locke. And here's another guy right now. Okay, he's not necessarily in that maybe patriot movement, but he's gaining his 15 minutes of fame, and it's not going away, is it? He's actually garnering more and more followers off the back of his conspiracy theories, his anti-vax stuff, his anti-mask stuff, his pro-Trump stuff. So Greg Locke is blowing up right now. You know, is a, is a guy like Matt Shea potentially the next Greg Locke if he was a little bit more organized? Oh, he's better organized than Greg Locke, who's a blowhard. Right. You know, yeah, it's true. guys like that, you know, say out provocative, outrageous things. And, uh, you know, it's a, there's a certain frisson, but they're more sizzle than steak, you know. <laughs> right. uh, Matt Shea is the steak. He's the guy you really have to worry about because he has, again, he's a retired military officer who served in combat. You know, he has leadership combat experience. You know, he's a skilled politician. He's a good orator. And he's got 400 followers who are tithing to him. And he's a, already a leader, you know, throughout the region, through, mm. the, uh, through the coalition, uh, you know, the, the cows of coalition, uh, you know, of, of, the, of the Western states. So he's a, he's a regional, political, and arguably religious leader, you mm. know, of a vast capacity and proven capacity, you right. know, and uh, not just as a, as, a, as, a, as a public leader, you know, in, in the way that uh, Greg Locke might be, but he's, he, you know, he helped to plan the Malheur occupation. And that yeah. sort of, you know, stealthy, insurrectionist kind of planning with some of the most violent armed people in the West, you know, that we've ever seen, right? Mm. It, one has to appreciate his role in that, right? Mm. It's not just that he did a bad thing, you know, we may not like what he did, but the fact is he did it. He helped to plan this tremendously consequential and influential moment in American history, you know, and he's yeah. still, he's still that guy. He's still, yeah, he hasn't slowed down. 
The only thing maybe now he doesn't have the access to the resources that he did. Because I think one of the things that came out in that report was that he had access, of course, to more secret documents. He was forging alliances and links with police officers in that region as well. And he was also releasing kind of secret information about law enforcement to these far-right militia groups as well. So that's another serious thing. This guy was tapping into, what, some sort of database, law enforcement, releasing you know, basically classified sensitive information on the opposition. So that's where he's coming from. Yeah, exactly. He's serious in the long term. I mean, it's uh, within uh, law enforcement, there are people who are aligned, you know, with his way of thinking uh, and people who are clearly not. Hmm. And uh, the, the, the blue are not, uh, they may be in uniform, but they're not uniform in their thinking. And yeah. uh, there are like the sheriff in Spokane has been a very outspoken about Metche and the danger that he presents, you know. So it's, uh, we really are talking about, about the stability of democracy in that region, you know, mm. and he is a, certainly a destabilizing factor, you know, if he uh, gets his way. It's worth keeping an eye on people like Matt Shea, isn't it? Because I know some, several people have said this. We've talked about this before that, okay, Donald Trump, he, he didn't have a policy. He didn't have an ideology. He couldn't articulate. He was only in it for the fame, for the notoriety, for the ability to make money, whatever he was in for as president. But people have said if a smarter, more organized, actual person with an ideology came along that could put all the pieces together, that's a scary, far scarier person. A guy like Matt Shea, you know, could he become that person eventually? He actually has an ideology. I don't think he has any possibility for national political office. Yeah. Uh, I, su I suspect that he doesn't even have any possibility for state political office. Not anymore uh, anyway, yeah. I just don't think, the reality is there aren't enough people of that way of thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a serious person in a way that Donald Trump never was. Right. The only way that Donald Trump got to where he was is because he's not a serious person. Right. He's a TV celebrity. He was yeah. trained to be a talk show host, for goodness sake. true. You know? yeah. He was he, a reality show. He was a reality show. Yeah. So he's, he's good at being a public personality. Right. That he was elected president is still amazing. But nevertheless, there is no successor to Donald Trump. Trumpism is alive and well, but there's oh, yeah. no personal successor to Donald Trump. Nobody can be like that. People like uh, Senator Tom Cotton or Senator Josh Hawley are cold fish, mm -hmm. right? Donald Trump is a, is a big, you know, interesting, you know, smiley, yeah, over, the top. over the top personality in a way that those guys are just not, you know? That's true, yeah. And might they do well enough in a Republican primary to win the nomination? Yeah, I mean, but, you know, they just don't have the kind of popular or populist appeal of Donald Trump. They just mm. don't have it. And neither does anybody else. So what happens in that post-Trump atmosphere is a bit beyond the scope of what we're talking about. But we think about where I'm getting at here is the role of a Matt Shea is not to become like those guys, right? Mm -hmm. His goal is to try to break apart the United States because he yeah. knows he has no chance outside of his region, but he does have a chance to be the maximum leader in a breakaway state. Right. And that's the danger. And he could form the state of liberty up there and break away and secede from the union. So uh, whether or not a guy like Matt Shea is successful, he certainly bears watching closely, doesn't he? Well, what I'll do is I'll put a link to your article in the show notes. If people wanted to find you, where's the best place to get a hold of you? Uh, well, uh, Political Research Associates. Uh, the website is uh, politicalresearch.org. And uh, uh, that, that's where you can find me. 
Okay. And I, yeah, I know you're on Twitter as well. So I'll put your Twitter handle in the show notes as well. Listen, sure. Fred, thank you so much. This has been really informative. It's definitely worth keeping an eye on people like Matt Shane. I'm glad there's people like you out there who are doing the hard work, doing the research to bring this stuff to light. Well, thanks. I uh, hope I can keep doing it as long as I can. <laughs>